Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. This is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth Podcast once again. We're happy to have with us Larry Chatterley, retired from CT Associates. And Larry's been a uh, leader in the dental practice brokerage industry and has had lots of experience. Uh, Larry is, was one of the uh, subject lead subject matter experts in the International Business Brokers Association uh, establishment of their credentialing program for dental practice brokers. and been involved in many other things, including uh, program chair for practice valuation study group for a number of years. And Larry, we're happy to have you with us again. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Today, we're going to address a couple topics. The first one is associate buy-ins and buyers. And so some practice owners may think, why not bring in an associate for a while to see if we get along and if he or she will be the right candidate for my practice? What are your thoughts about that, Larry? Yeah, that... Good question. That is a prevailing thought, and that has some merit, bringing in the right person to make sure there's a match. But before we uh, address that in in depth, let's talk about practices. Are they poised to even bring someone in to begin with? Some of the things that we look at on the onset is uh, some three or four factors. One factor is, does the practice have the ability, financial capacity, I should say, to support another dentist? Meaning, can the host dentist, if you will, we'll refer to him the host, the one bringing on the, on the associate, can he afford a pay cut of around eight to $10,000 a month? <clears throat> if he cannot do that, if he's unable to do that, it's going to be very difficult to bring someone in, <clears throat> mainly because the amount of debt that the uh, buyers are coming out of school with, they need that amount of revenue just to stay afloat. So if the practice isn't, if he's not in a position personally to do that, uh, it's going to be uphill battle to make this thing work out and most likely will not have a very good outcome with the associateship. Number two is, is does the practice have the capacity for, for, for immediate growth? If the seller or the host dentist is struggling only to fill out a one or two weeks of operative, uh, it's going to be pretty hard pressed to fill a schedule for a buyer. So, <clears throat> unless this has capacity, excuse me, <clears throat> unless the uh, unless the practice has the capacity to build up, have new patient flow, probably's got to be at least 30, 40 plus new patients a month to make this thing work. If there have if the practice has seen maybe twenty or whatever or less, it's going to be pretty difficult to fill up the buyer schedule unless the seller is willing to give up considerable, give up a lot of his current patient base to do that. Another factor is, uh, the third factor is the facility. 
if the cell only has three ops it's and can expand, it would be pretty, pretty difficult to uh, figure out how to get operatory time. <clears throat> Some offices have four and five ops and they'll straddle the schedule where the host dentist or one of the dentists works a seven to one and the other dentist works 12 to six shift. Uh, that has worked on some occasions. And then when the production builds up big enough, sometimes they relocate the practice. But uh, assuming the practice has that capacity and the seller can financially afford an initial drop in revenue, uh, uh, sometimes they have to use, straddle the schedule to make that work with the facility. <clears throat> Another factor we see is the seller willing to let go. Um, if they are really um, fastidious about controlling everything, uh, they're going to have a tough time bringing an associate and grooming them to be a to be a buyer of their practice if they can't give up some of that responsibility and delegate it to the associate. And that's difficult to be a... You've been a captain of your ship, so to speak, for many years, and all of a sudden it brings a co-captain on, or you're grooming a person to be a captain of the ship, and some sellers have had a difficult time doing that. So those are the, kind of the four things. I guess the fifth and sixth would be uh, attitude. What is the attitude of the buyer and the seller? I mean, do they <clears throat> can they get along? And uh, and I would say number six would be the clinical skill set. Some practices require a particular skill set for it to be successful and to see if that's a complementary match. So when we look at these deals, we look at the associate's um, behavior and attitude as well as the host dentist to see if they are complementary for each other. And then we also see if they're, they have a clinical com compatibility. So those are the six major things we look at. And when we're trying to structure a successful associateship, and we've probably done about, I don't know, 300 maybe or more over the years. And um, I would say in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, successful associateships are becoming uh, more the exception than the rule. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, they, the success rate was much higher. And I would say in the last 10, 15 years, the success rate has been going going down quite a bit. There's probably a lot of reasons for that, but nevertheless, they're they're harder to put together and they're hard to stay together for that point. Got it. Well, our next question would be, how will I know when I have the right purchaser? Well, you may not know, no, until after the ink dries for some time, I don't know. But <clears throat> um, I can tell you some things that can help, which some practitioners do and don't want. Some of the most successful uh, ones we've had is where we had the staff in on the interviewing process. Besides the seller meeting with the associate, we had the associates sometimes meet in a group or meet each one individually and talk about their goals and how the practice runs, runs and what they like best about it. And then they ask the doctor some questions about what, what, how do they see this practice succeeding and what they've seen happen in the, in the past practice they worked at or in school or whatever. But all I know is when, when we brought in the staff on, on the onset and they help in the interviewing process, we found that there was a higher degree of success of finding a good match because we wanted to see if their values were complementary. We, I mean, we mentioned a minute ago about attitudes, but I meant when I said attitudes, I also meant values. Were, the, were they on the same page when it came to 
similar values of how would they how they would run a practice and their leadership style. <clears throat> there are some personality assessments out there that people can take, and we found those to be very insightful when we've been putting people together. Um, and we've done that on the staff as well. And so that tells us a little about the culture of the practice. And we want to see if this person that's coming in has a similar value system that can mesh with that culture that the practice established. And when they do that, that helps minimize the risk relative to it. So asking some a lot of key questions, listening about their expectations. And, um, and we find that when we, um, when both parties are talking about uh, the questions about their values and how they would run a practice and how they would treat patients and their clinical mindset, we find that they have a higher degree of success. Great. Thank you, Larry. So uh, we finished out this section on associate buy-ins and buyers. And now we'd like to address practice evaluation and practice sale price. Larry, what resources are available to help practice owners evaluate potential purchasers of their practice we have a we put out an article a few years ago and uh, we that has some key issues that we just addressed and particularly also questions that, that the parties can ask each other and um, we found that we when they're trying to analyze whether they're going to hire an associate to go, kind of go over these issues so with that in mind um, we were happy to furnish that to anybody listening to this podcast and they can get that article to help them determine uh, whether their <clears throat> whether associateship would work for them and the questions they would want to ask someone before they hired them. And then the other okay. thing I would say, and sometimes people do a working interview after they do all this, rather than hiring someone for three weeks and then find out they don't work, uh, is to have, have them take a day off wherever they're working now, or two days, and then just have them come in and work just to see how things go. That way, it doesn't create a long-term commitment to do a working interview. How does the staff How does the staff handle that if an associate or a potential buyer comes in? What What would we want to be honest? But uh, the the practice owner may not want to light up the staff. What's How's that generally handled? Well, it's pretty difficult if they don't bring the staff in on that on the on, in on what's going on when they don't. Okay. Uh, we just see that there can create some serious problems. In fact, as a general rule, the sooner the staff is in on the transition, whether it's sell or deferred buy-in or whatever, the transition options, we found that that transition actually went smoother uh, versus telling them at the last minute or right after the deal closed. Uh, we, you get a lot more pushback. And it's interesting because the buyer's paying a considerable amount of money for goodwill and that includes the goodwill cooperation of the staff. And the more that they're in on it and they become part of it, it's more empowering for all the parties to have a successful transition. Good. All right. Well, that'll end this segment. Mm -hmm.